welcome to Conversations with Consultants, a student-run podcast for those who are looking to break into consulting. Here we sit down with established consultants and talk to them about how they got into the industry, their highs and lows, and advice they have for aspiring consultants. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Consultants. My name is Anushka and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm delighted to be joined by Alistair Blair. Alistair Blair is Country Managing Director for Accenture in Ireland and as Senior Managing Director in the company, he sits on the UK and Ireland leadership team. In his role, Alistair has overall responsibility for the growth and success of Accenture's business in Ireland. He joined in 1987 and during his career has held a number of senior positions with a particular focus on the financial services sector. Alistair has also served as president of IBEC, a role which he took up in September 2020, and he is committed to leveraging Accenture's capabilities and skills to have a positive impact on the broader economy in Ireland. He is passionate about Ireland's talent agenda and in particular ensuring the country's youth are well equipped and digitally ready for the future jobs through a highly adaptable education system. Alistair, thank you for joining us today. Um, so I guess we'll dive into the early years. Um, so if we go back to your time in Trinity College Dublin, um, you finished your undergraduate degree in microelectronic engineering. So I'm curious to know why you chose that course in the first place. And um, why did I go? Well, first of all, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, thank you for the invite. Of course. Um, why did I choose that? I was quite interested in maths and physics and the likes in school. Um, wasn't really that interested in the humanities, you might say. So I thought engineering would be interesting. Also, quite honestly, um, I knew a few people doing it. My brother had done it. So I just thought it was something that would at least build on what I thought I knew. Um, and I'm partly right and partly wrong, I suppose, all these years later. And I guess having then done that engineering degree and then you come into consulting, did you find it difficult to kind of change to being like client orientated? Um, and business sort of focused? Um, well, I suppose our business has changed many, many times, but I suppose at the, at the heart of everything is solving problems. And I, I think engineering gives you the basis for problem solving. You know, you, you think about uh, the logic aspect of it, you think cause and effect, you think input process output. So I think in the round, it just helps you with a frame of reference. And, and, you know, and bear in mind, uh, even in those days, technology was in its infancy relative to where it is today. But if anything that has a technology dimension to it, you, you need that logic. But then you need to learn the business dimension to it, the softer skills. Uh, and, and that's what you really need to develop, I think, if you come out of an engineering or a STEM type discipline, perhaps. That's the biggest transition. Absolutely, yeah. And then... I suppose the first few years of consulting are usually known to be very fast paced on a big learning curve as well. In your early years, did you have perhaps certain time project or any sort of moments in your career that were pivotal in terms of your growth and development or something that came, you came across that you hadn't learned in your academic background? Um, yeah, so it was just, just to, to build on what I said. I mean, you, you, you think, I think when you, certainly when I left college, I, I knew I didn't know an awful lot. Uh, I knew I had an awful lot to learn, particularly about business, the way businesses work, operate, function. And so that's the first thing. I think the biggest, the biggest aspect I think you learn in your immediately out of college is to, to, to find a way to work with people who have the skills you don't have, which might sound very odd. So you've got to acquire skills, but you're not ever going to know anything, certainly in this world. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I, I think you... Um, the biggest learning curve is how you work out quickly, who you work well with, 
what type of team you fit well into. And then what do you really, really enjoy? What type of businesses do you really enjoy working with? What type of technologies, whatever. Um, and then the final thing is just, you know, very easy thing to say, very obvious maybe, but the speed of change even then was accelerating. Look at it now. So you have to get very comfortable with change, with ambiguity. And I think that's probably the biggest learning leaving college, whereas you can produce a perfect answer, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You might produce, I certainly didn't produce a perfect uh, final year project, <laughs> but you can approach some level of perfection. I don't think in business you approach that level of perfection. It's constantly shifting under your feet. So that, that's the really big change. Yeah, I think it's also a lot of like continuous growth. Like even now you're always learning, everything's changing so fast. So yeah, and then, yeah. When you did kind of join Accenture, you worked with major international and domestic financial services organizations in the banking, capital markets, and insurance sectors. Was there anything in particular that sort of drew you to this work and this sector in particular, or how did you sort of get involved there? Um, oh, that's a really good question. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I suppose just uh, it was at the time when Ireland's international financial services were beginning to open up. It was at a time when banking and other industries were starting to to really grow in this country and also starting to use technology. So my first projects would all have been, I was in Germany for a bit, Luxembourg, London. Banks and financial services institutions were really starting to use technology with great vigor. You know, it's probably not that long after ATMs were introduced, dare I say. That was probably early 80s, was it? I don't know, something early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, But technology was just exploding in the financial services area, and it was seen as something that could really help them, not just to process things more quickly, but to gather data about customers, to try and help customers use even the most basic technology in branches or in processing centers, et cetera. So I just probably got involved in that in the early stages, and then it went from there, and I just started to really enjoy it. I just really enjoyed the concept of financial services, capital markets, trading, et cetera, you know, 80s, late 80s, early 90s. So it was really the advent of mega scale technology usage in financial services. And I think once you get in a flow like that, it's hard, it's hard to step out and say, oh, I'd like to try something else now. Um, yeah, so that's probably why. Probably not a great answer. No, no. And like you mentioned about like the idea of like the digital aspect of everything, like is it like theme that keeps coming up so I suppose you even um, referred to Accenture as like a digital agent so I was wondering how does that sort of fit into the Irish economy today and also if you could tell me a little bit about like Irish talent and skills and how that's an important factor towards our growing economy today. Oh that's um, that's a very very I think I'm. I think I. I think I would be very passionate about a topic. Yeah. I'd be very passionate about. Um, I mean, I think we have one of the. We're a relatively small. We're a very small island. Um, we have an incredible ability to um, use our talents. Um, certainly, my generation. Bear in mind, probably I don't know the percentage. Seventy percent of my college year went abroad, mm-hmm. went to Siemens or Philips or these companies because there were very few jobs in microelectronic engineering in those days, but my goodness, did we produce brilliant, brilliant people and brilliant ideas and brilliant graduates producing those ideas. So we probably exported more talent in my day. I think though, with, with, with there's a great, there's a great term, um, we used to talk of getting, a, we used to talk about getting a BA degree, which has been away. People have been away and have brought back skills and knowledge and experience. And you look at around, 
you look around Ireland um, over the last 20, say the last 20 years, the incredible talent that has built up. So we were a land of, I always liked, I like to think we were a land of saints and scholars. And then we just happened to find this golden thread of technology uh, skills and it's bringing together that mix of skills. So the, the kind of what I'd call the wily emotional intelligence of somebody uh, who's lived in this country. I won't say Irish because we're very much an open economy now, not like when I was young. Uh, and bringing together those business, that business acumen, that sharpness, that adaptability and the core core content skills of engineering, I think is vitally important. The biggest, the biggest worry I would have, and I've said this many times, is the biggest worry I would have is I think our third level of tertiary education is fantastic. We have a lot of a high percentage of our uh, young folk, young folk go through tertiary education, which is a huge benefit to being a knowledge economy. Um, but the only way to stay ahead is to con continue to develop those skills. And I, I genuinely worry that our leaving certificate and our secondary education system will struggle because it produces people who are very focused in my view, very clever people, obviously, uh, great aptitude, great attitude, but very focused on getting the points to do whatever degree they want to do. And I think we need to think broader right from early days because some of your behaviors, some of your mindset is, is crafted, not when you're in your late teens, early twenties in college, but earlier and broadening one's mind earlier is better, much better. And that's what a lot of other economies are doing. So, so I'd be very passionate about it. I have massive, massive faith in our system, so to speak, but I have massive faith in our young people because um, I see it around me. Um, I mean, look, look at your good self and all the others that are doing the internship in Accenture, the, the keenness, the energy and the drive is there. Now we just need to provide the opportunity. If we don't, however, there are other countries that will beat us because we are a knowledge economy. We don't have huge natural resources per se that we dig out of the ground or mine or whatever. And therefore we will never be a big manufacturing economy. We're a highly specialized, highly productive economy. And that needs brain power. There's a very long winded answer, but I have huge confidence because I just believe this, we have an ability to reinvent ourselves as a nation. And we now need to do that again, just like eighties and nineties and two thousands. Sorry, that's a very long answer. No, that was that was really interesting. And I, I, I absolutely agree. agree as well. Um, and then I suppose following on from that a little bit more, um, you obviously have extensive knowledge of business strategy and driving organizational change through innovation. So I'd be curious to know your thoughts on the innovation district, the plans for that to be built around the Docklands, around Trinity, and what you think this will achieve for Ireland? As well. If we're going to be as good as we've been in the life sciences, pharmaceuticals, technology, um, medical device manufacturing, financial services, every sector of the economy needs to innovate. So it isn't just the reserve of a technology firm or a, you know, a device firm, it's everybody needs to innovate. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and that requires actually proximity and coming together. So I think what's going on uh, with GCID, um, and I, I know Dermot O'Brien uh, from Trinity has led that and is now moving to the UK on the basis of that great success. I think it'll be fundamental because you need a place to convene. And I don't just mean a meeting house or a meeting room or a, a place where you can kind of come and meet and leave. Innovation isn't driven, you know, it's, it's driven by um, sweat as well as um, spark. So I think uh, you need a place where you can bring together multi-disciplines. You can bring people from business. You can bring people from a technology background, from a humanities background, a design background. 
you know, we have our own sort of mini version of that, albeit it's one of the biggest in the world, which is the Dock, which is our innovation center that was set up in 2018, which serves our global firm, totally multidisciplinary. So what Trinity are doing and with GCID and the whole innovation district, I mean, just look at the number of companies, the number of organizations that are backing that. Why? Because there's a profound belief the way forward is innovation. There's a profound belief that you need universities and Trinity isn't the only university obviously in this by any means, but it's it's really important for us to have the ability to bring that mix of skills together, to have a place where we can bring also the funding and the investors together. So I think it's fantastic and it's the right place to do it as well. Um, you know, it's uh, it's at the heart of the Docklands. It's at the heart of, you know, our, our gateway to the rest of the world, certainly in previous generations. So. I think it's a terrific initiative and I think it'll pay benefits for decades to come. And then just moving more into like the Accenture realm, I suppose, you know, Accenture is known for being agile and forward thinking. So how do you think you have all adapted um, during these times and what do you envision the future of work to be? That's, a, that's not a quick answer. Um, how have we adapted? Uh, well, I suppose from, an, from, an, from, from our business point of view, uh, we have all the tools, had all the tools when yeah. this dreadful pandemic started. We had all the tools to enable people to work from home. So literally the, phys the physical aspect of picking up your laptop, walking out of the office on the 13th, 18th, 20th, 20, 21st, I think March was the last day, maybe some of the last year in 2020. That, it's easy enough to, to, to get out of the office. That's one thing. Um, the, the behaviors, the skills you need in a two, I call it a 2D world, like a two-dimensional world, the skills are totally different. Uh, relationship skills, the, the knowledge of your team, the way you interact with your team and work with your team, I think is very different uh, online as opposed to in person. So I think you put, well, two things I think we learned very quickly. One, we can do it. Actually, it's not a big leap, but it requires huge trust. It requires huge trust in each other. Uh, it requires huge trust in, a, we have a large workforce now, over 5,000 people. You're putting huge trust in people. But we, were, we had that trust re was, um, repaid in spades because people did remarkable things. Was it painful? Yes. But actually what they did for our clients, what they did for each other, how they conducted themselves, going extra kilometers, miles, whatever terminology, was just extraordinary. But actually the ability to innovate and to come up with new answers to problems that were only popping up day by day in those early months, certainly after the pandemic started. That's probably the biggest thing we learned, trust and the ability to change the way you do things and respond very quickly. It also places huge trust in our business. You, you place huge trust in your clients and they place enormous trust in us to do things. So I think that's the other thing. It, ironically, you might think distance has weakened, weakened links with long-standing clients. And most of our clients are very long-standing. I think it's strengthened the ties with many of our clients, thankfully. Um, and then the second thing is the future of work. I, I believe we'll have a, this is a really complex question because I think it depends on the type of work people are going to be doing. But I think we'll end up with, definitely we'll end up with a hybrid model. Everyone talks about it. Exactly how hybrid will depend on the industry because many industries have been able to and have had to or have had to stay open retail life sciences pharmaceutical production food production and um, of course the extraordinary people in the health service who've had to deal with this every day on the front line so for many of us 
uh, life changed, but it wasn't a difficult change. For some people, it didn't change and it was extremely difficult. I think the future of work will require infinitely more discipline and skills in the use of digital technologies, the management of data, the ability to mine, process, access data, the ability to conduct and trade online. Whether you're a citizen dealing with the government or whether you're a customer or a, a, a client of an organization, it'll all be defined by the experience you have. And we've had, let's face it, we've all had great experiences dealing with things online. And then we've had awful experiences and people don't forget a bad experience. In fact, it probably puts you off. And that's where a lot of businesses are making great strides and where equal businesses are really struggling because a digital, a digital mindset, an online mindset is profoundly different to um, kind of an analog uh, a mindset. And then the final thing is businesses that thought things would return to normal and didn't invest uh, or didn't have the time or the space to invest in the future technologies of online and data and digital are really going to struggle. And that's, that's probably the biggest challenge for our country as well. Very long-winded answer. I think the future of work is much more remote. Um, will it be full-time remote? Perhaps for some people, absolutely. Um, and for others, there are parts of business where the spark, the innovation, the ingenuity requires in-person. And then the final, final comment, sorry, very final comment is, you know, for many people, this is, this is kind of, this has been the most tragic 18 months because they've built businesses that have not been able to function. And those can be entertainment industry, hotels, bed and breakfasts all over this country. And we have traded on and been the Cade Mila Falcia for so long, welcoming people from all over the world. And my biggest fear is we've lost the ability to even deliver the Cade Mila Falcia and the Ireland welcome is like no other. But I would say that, but that's that's a real tragedy, and we need to do everything we can to support industries that have been hammered by this pandemic, because many of them have been at the heart of our economy, and we need to find a way to help them recover or reinvent and recover. And just a reflection on you know your time as president of Ireland's largest lobby and business representative group, Ibec. Um, how is this experience for you? Any key takeaways, especially during times like this, you know, very uncertain. How was that experience for you? Um, so yeah, that, that runs through to the end of September. So the, at the end of September, I'll hand over. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want to see, and, and I say this, this, I say this in the context of being a very profound believer um, that Ireland has unbelievable leadership and the ability to make tough decisions when presented with them. Like we're not shy and not afraid to make tough decisions. Um, you, you, the, 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 big, the biggest learning is that in a crisis, teams come together. Uh, the board of IBEC, the ability of the people within IBEC to speak on behalf of Irish business. IBEC is often called the voice of Irish business. And that can be a very difficult thing because people will say, oh, well, you would say that because, you know, you're in business. But actually, I think my biggest learning is that extraordinary leaders become more extraordinary in, in, in a time of real crisis and and I, I will never forget the support, um, the insight, the bravery of certainly the people in IBEC to take on, to come up with and to devise ways that are both thoughtful, but also in the interest of making sure, because bear, bear in mind, IBEC probably covers about 70% of Irish workers in the private sector. So when it speaks, it speaks with that burden of responsibility um, but it also speaks with authority, but you can only speak with authority if you're compassionate and you've got a sense of 
what the right thing to do is. And the right thing is not always the obvious thing or the easy thing, quite the opposite. So I think it, I, my takeaway of it is you, you present Irish business, you present typically Irish people with a challenge. They come together very quickly. Um, we might be doing a bit of squabbling sometimes as an Irish nation when things are a little more calm, but in a crisis, the support, the the downright honesty and the ability to work together is the thing I will never, ever forget. You became country managing director in 2014. So I guess if you could give us a little insight into what like a typical day would be for you. I'm sure it changes every single day. It's different, but a um, little yeah. insight. Um, I'm not a morning person per se. <laughs> Don't mind the mornings, but I'm not a morning person. It's not a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm 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 an er, I'm, I'm an early riser," and I, I'm not particularly early riser. Um, I'd be better in the evenings. That's just the way I am. And um, so a typical day, uh, it depends on the week. It certainly has changed dramatically uh, in the last 15, 16 months. Uh, so I suppose there are really three parts to the business, if you like, or three aspects to my job within the business. First is representing Accenture. Um, and, 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 you know, being not the face, that's probably the wrong term, but being the representative of Accenture in the marketplace across all industries, because we have very close and tight focus along industry lines. Uh, the second would be really um, working with a number of clients quite specifically, clearly not every industry, but particular clients or particular aspects of our business where I would either know the client or I would have something that I feel I could add or where they might say, we actually need you involved. And that's the second thing. And then the third thing really is all around the people and the strategy for want of a better word, where's the business going? Um, we, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't make physical items. We don't manufacture. We only have people when I say only, I mean, that we're, we're privileged and lucky because we think we get some of the best graduates in the market plenty of graduates from Trinity, thankfully, please keep applying. Um, but it's nurturing the talent. If you like setting the direction, I'm surrounded by um, an extraordinary team of people, like honestly, an extraordinary team of people. And so that makes my life an awful lot easier. But actually it's about nurturing the talent and making sure that we're in the right place to support our clients. And that isn't us saying, oh, we want to do this or we want to do that. We, we get most of our, our ideas, most of our direction from what does our client, or what do our clients need looking forward? And I always say this, and I say it in every, every welcome to new graduates joining us, you put the client first, pretty much everything else solves for itself. You forget about the client, everything in Accenture falls apart. So we're incredibly client focused, client centric. That doesn't mean we don't look for opportunities to do different things in different ways, like the acquisition of Rothko, the, uh, the creative agency, the life sciences business, ESP and Cork that joined the family, the launch of the dock, the thousand plus people that support our global organization. But everybody has a client, everybody has an intent and everybody has a belief that actually it's about thinking about the future and helping our clients to get there rather than dealing with the issues of just today. So you have that foot in today thing and then a very clear foot in tomorrow. And my, my time should be spent perhaps more about the foot in tomorrow Although there's a lot of daily stuff these days. That's just the nature of the pandemic. Yeah. And then you're also a very big believer of inclusion and diversity at work. And you have a hope to drive 50-50 gender bonds by 2025. So from your point of view, what is needed in order to achieve this goal? Um, we 
as a gang, as a business, as a as a people in the business, and I think the Irish marketplace. Um, I mean, my my attitude to this is very very simple at one level, which is all of the insights, all of the research, all of, put all the research aside, because I wasn't great in the labs in the printing house in those days. I really wasn't a great lab engineer, but the real empirical evidence of working with a team. And when I joined Accenture, we didn't hire that many people, maybe 20 to 25, 30 people a year max. No, 20, I joined it with a group of 80. The business we have now is founded on trying to stay with that foot in the future trying to innovate, try to bring ideas. The problems of today are so complex that a bunch of engineers or a bunch of mathematicians or a bunch of humanities graduates or a bunch of lawyers on their own won't solve it. It's the amalgam of those skills. So sorry for the long-winded. But, but with that comes diversity of thought. With that diversity of thought has to come gender diversity, uh, inclusion in all of its aspects. Because if, if you cut a long story short, if you come to work and you're, you feel you have to hide something, you feel you have to be what you're not, you're just not going to be able to do your job to the best effects. And I, I, I can't put it any more boldly than that. Uh, it, it's about creating an environment where people can come to work, be themselves, be the best of themselves. Do we get that right every day? No. But do we try very hard? Yes. The other thing is it takes time. And I, I, was, I was very lucky that some 15 years ago, my predecessor said, we've got to be more inclusive and diverse business. We've got to think about gender diversity in particular, because more than 50% of the people on average, slightly more than 50% of the people on average who join us as graduates every year um, are, are female. So why, why would that be a trickle of promotions to senior manager or managing director or partner or whatever the language has been over the years? Senior positions should not be filled by men if 50-50 diversity comes in the door. So that's the first. The, the, the final comment I make on it is there is only one way to make it happen. You cannot for, force it, at least in our business, um, you, let, you need to let people be who they are. You need to let them progress at the rate they can progress. And you do not need to be divisive or in any way excluding of people. And then it solves for itself, which is why I'm surrounded by men and women um, who believe in this. I mean, if you don't believe in gender diversity or you don't believe in inclusion and diversity, I'm a great believer if you don't believe you can win in sport or you can't win in business, you won't. So you have to believe it. But it has to be actually more than just a belief that's on the facade. You have to believe it in your head and your heart that Ireland is a better place for being diverse and inclu inclusive, the companies we work in. And the great thing now is a lot of our clients are asking us, how inclusive and diverse are you? We're actually working together on this problem. And that to me is the greatest sign that in the incoming tide, the boats will lift together. Um, and then I, I take great store by initiatives like the 30% Club, Balance for Better Business. There are some remarkable business leaders who set out their stall. I think of people like Breed Horan and many others who've led on this topic for as long as I've been the country manager director and for long before it. Those are the people we should look to because they set the benchmark for others to follow and they provide the rationale and then you get people believing. And once you believe, most things are possible. As well as this then, you've been heavily involved with Accenture's University Action Team. Um, so in your opinion, what is the makeup of a graduate that helps make Ireland successful? And what advice would you give to them, you know, if they're looking to join Accenture? Well, as a graduate, you need an incredibly inquisitive mind, not an, not an assuming mind, uh, as in assuming I can do this or I can do that. 
you need an incredibly um, inquisitive mind. Um, there is no right answer in business. There's just some answers are more correct than others at one level. Now, that's not wishing to say, you know, mediocrity or any old answer will do, but there is no right answer in business per se. Um, and therefore, you need to be comfortable with ambiguity, which is a weird sentence. But you need to be incredibly comfortable with ambiguity because things are now changing at such a speed that what you knew a year ago or maybe even six months ago has profoundly changed. Um, and, there, and the second thing is you need an open mind. And I mean an open mind on inclusion and diversity. You need an open mind skills you may need in the future. You need an open mind on the team around you and you need to listen. Um, I, I have a tendency apparently to talk a bit, but I have a great friend who I've worked with for many years that said we were given two ears and one mouth for a reason. So I believe in the future listening skills, those empathy, those emotional intelligence skills are infinitely more important than they were 20 or 30 years ago when the answers were a bit more simple because the options available were limited. And then the final thing is, you know, we've been in a very weird world for 18 months where we haven't traveled. We might feel like we're traveling because we're on a call or in a session or on a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting with somebody from afar. Irish people, people from Ireland, not Irish, but people from Ireland are infinitely better if, had the, if they've had the opportunity to move and see and do. And I've had an ability to move and see and do. I haven't been outside the country, I haven't seen it. I haven't, so I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us in, in, in an economy and in a world where we are the best at taking ideas and making and doing for us to get out and about when the pandemic lifts, when we have the opportunity to go and see and meet clients, to go and see and meet and see and do new things um, and kind of get back in the curragh, if you, if you don't mind the term. It's like, I always think like um, the Islanders of old, during the winter, they probably didn't visit other islands or elsewhere. We do need to get out and about. We do need to see and do. And then the final thing is, uh, I don't think it's an issue for your generation the, and, and the generations thereafter. We as a country need to get our heads around, if you don't mind the term, sustainability. And I mean sustainability in all its forms. It's sustainable, it's sustainable inclusive and diverse workforce. We need a sustainable economy that addresses and helps to address our climate footprint. Um, and then we need a sustainable workforce because in the end of the day, we will continue to produce some of the best food in the world. We will continue to be a place that hopefully people come to make some of the best uh, silicon devices in the world or whatever the, the latest chip technology will be. We will be the place people turn to for ideas, agility and speed and ultimately innovation. And if we keep those sorts of things in the front of our mind, the, the future will be way more bright for your generation than it was even for mine. And I consider myself extraordinarily lucky to have grown up in, in work terms, at least, uh, work terms to have grown up in the late 80s, early 90s, when Ireland was really just beginning to put its kind of uh, footprint out and about on the world in new industries and new ideas. Um, and therefore, I've been a massive beneficiary, massive beneficiary of that. But your generation has such opportunity. It is mind blowing. So it's up to us, my and other people of my generation and the one after me to make sure you have that opportunity. But for you to respond, your generation to respond in kind with the ambition, the aptitude and the get up and go. But that's never been a problem for people from Ireland or who've lived here. It just seems to engender that get up and go spirit. That's yeah, I think that's what I'd say.
Final thing is, and I say to every single graduate group that have joined us that I speak to, ask for help. Help and asking for help is, is a gift as opposed to a sign of weakness. The sign of weakness is when you ask for help too late. Uh, I've never, ever, ever had a problem asking for help. It's just making sure you ask the right person <laughs> so you get the answer. Um, and, and they, but it never, ever leave it too late to ask for help. It's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. I'd like to finish up with some quick general questions now. Um, so first of all, is there any business leader who inspires you and why so? Uh, and this, the, I mean, I, I'm really lucky because I work for a, a very large company with a great name and great people. The people that inspire me most are the people who've built businesses and, and don't take the, the people who build businesses literally with their own hands we talk we talk about small medium-sized enterprises but you, you so i won't name anyone in particular but people kind of know who they are people with an unbelievable ability to innovate an unbelievable ability to take risks calculated risks so i'd say that the, the indigenous business owners in ireland are the people who have the ability to turn on a dime to come up with an idea, the inclination to innovate or inclination to do something different. Um, and they're dotted all over the country and they're now dotted all over the world. And that's what I take great store and passion. And I'll take one quick example. I mean, you, you go to my, my wife's from the US. When I go to the States with Leslie for all these years, the number of Irish people you bump into and you realize they're running their own business. They built something from scratch. They just took a punt in the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. And those are the people I look to, probably because I've grown up in a very, well, what was a small firm, but it's become a very large firm, but it's a big organization all over the world. These people have incredible dynamism. And I think we can all learn from that. Secondly, um, what is your fondest moment of studying in Trinity or any particular memories that stand out when you look back on your time? I, I'm, uh, I'm a sports nut. My fondest memories, and they would still be fresh in my mind these days, would be um, I played the rather, in those days, rather arcane game of cricket. Not a lot of people played it. My fondest memories, honestly, would have been final year in college, which probably wasn't the best time to be full on. When we had a really brilliant cricket team, I was very mediocre. We had a brilliant cricket team and winning matches where people thought um, uh, we wouldn't have any chance. And that brought me great pleasure because, um, I don't know, just the whole team aspect. That's probably my fondest memory. I, I have to say, I, I've used an awful lot of what I learned of the discipline of problem solving um, and engineering was an incredible background and a basis upon which to build. It's a foundation because I needed the hard, the harder disciplines and the harder uh, emphasis on structural thinking. The softer stuff perhaps came a little bit more easily to me at one level but I needed the harder graft to get through, but I would by no means consider myself a, um, a star pupil, but uh, I did okay. And I guess that kind of even leads me on to my last question then. Um, what would your passions outside of work be? I mean, I've heard you're a huge sports and rock fan as well. Yeah, um, I, well, I have, I have three young folk, I'm not allowed to call them children anymore. So obviously, uh, Leslie and the three kids are uh, the three young folk. Um, I was going to say take up a lot of time, but I don't mean it that way. And it's been brilliant to be at home, actually working from home and um, to spend more time with them. That's the first thing. The second thing is sport um, and going to a Leinster match, going to an Irish rugby match, going to a sporting fixture. Go to, I don't get to go to many cricket matches anymore. Playing any form of sport 
albeit how limited I, I was at any of them, um, is probably my greatest, brings out all of the um, competitive spirit in me, I'm afraid it really does. But uh, sport would be my outlet, no doubt about that. And, and I'm, I am a, abs, an absolute, unashamed U2 um, rock fan. I've gone all over the world to see them and I'm unashamed anorak on the subject of U2 uh, to, to the point of almost embarrassment to my family and friends, but that's life. You have to you have to love something that isn't just, you know. Yeah, you have to embrace it. Um, and that wraps it all up, Alistair. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. And I'm, you've shared some really, really great insights and I'm sure it'll really resonate with our listeners. So thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. And of course, if you would like to find Alistair Blair on Twitter, you can find him under the handle at Alistair underscore Blair. So, thank you very much. <laughs>